This is Thursday, March 18th, and we're continuing our discussion on the higher Christian life and how to attain the higher Christian life. And quite honestly, if you really want to boil it all down to the basis, to the to the very bedrock of what it means to experience this higher Christian life, it all boils down to holiness, to living a holy life. What is a holy life? How do we live a holy life? What are the benefits of living a holy life? And Tomorrow and first of next week, we'll be talking more about what hinders us from living that holy life and some of the mistakes we've made and some of the hidden sins in our life that need to be renounced and and forsaken in order for God's holiness to come in. And then later on next week, most importantly, we're going to be talking about how to obtain that holiness, not positional holiness where God has granted us holy as he is holy because of virtue of his son, but practical holiness in which we can function in such a way to be pleasing to him. And there are some real important reasons for that. Let me just share just a couple verses with you. First one, of course, is in Psalm chapter 24, where David makes an affirmation about who God is and then asks the most important question and then gives the answer. And the answer, of course, will shock you, especially as we're talking about holiness here. First, the affirmation, Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Everything belongs to him, the world and all those who dwell therein. Why? For he, God, has founded it upon the seas and has established it upon the waters. And then there's a pause. This is God, this is who he is, this is what he has done. And so how do I approach God? How do I get close to God? How do I know this creator, God and Father? Verse 3 asks the question, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or may stand in his holy place? Who can have an audience with God? Who can be raised up to where God is? Who can to quote, Paul, be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Who can do that? What attribute does it take? What kind of person can be in the presence of a holy God? Verse number four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Pure hearts from Matthew chapter five, verse eight in the Beatitudes about seeing God. He that Actions are pure, and their inner motivations are pure. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol? And an idol is anything we place in substitute of God. It doesn't have to be some bronze statue somewhere. It can be money. It can be popularity. It can be acceptance. It could be my job. It could be me. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. And what will happen to that person? He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And part of that blessing from the Lord is this higher Christian life, is this intimacy with the Lord, is, is this understanding of, of who he is. You look at that passage, 
And then we'll go all the way into the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, and we find something else out about holiness and about our ability to have this communion and this relationship and this intimacy with the Lord. We find this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, and it says this, pursue or follow after or run after peace with all people. In other words, that's something I'm commanded to do. I'm to try to be at peace at all people, to run after, to pursue, to follow after this peace. And then there's this phrase, and holiness. Why? Without which no one will see the Lord. No one will have communion with him. No one will have fellowship with him. No one will have intimacy with him. You know this is true in your own life. You know that when you're sinning and you're not holy and you're not doing the things God has commanded you to do, or you're doing the things that he has commanded you not to do, that your intimacy with him is strained, that you've grieved the Holy Spirit, you don't feel close to him anymore, he's not manifesting his power in your life. We all know that is true. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, it says, without which no one will see the Lord. And here's the amazing thing about this passage. The Greek word that is translated holiness, hagaimos, actually is also translated sanctification. As a matter of fact, you will find that word 10 times in the New Testament, and five of those times it's translated holiness, and the other five times it is translated sanctification, like in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification or holiness and redemption. Then you find out later, like in 1 Thessalonians 4.7, where it says, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness, it's the same word. And so when you look the word up, where it says that without this word, hagiasmos, without this holiness, we will not see God. The word refers not only to the act of the Holy Spirit setting us apart unto salvation, sanctifying us and putting us in the ranks of the redeemed, making us holy positionally, but it also means to enable us as humans today to live a holy life as God is holy, to live a life that is set apart for him, to have victory over sin, to be an overcomer like it talks about in Revelation 2 and 3, in other words, not to let sin have dominion over us, and allowing us, really opening the door for us to live this higher Christian life. Without that, without this idea of holiness, without this positional holiness and our ability to live holy as Christ is holy, it says no one, no one will see the Lord, which again reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, where again it talks about what this holiness looks like. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
not sinning children, but obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lust as in your ignorance. This is almost like Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it talks about not being conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is the ability to live this out in practical application day in and day out in our lives right now. And why are we to be that way? Because 1 Peter 1.16 says, because it is written, and again, he's quoting Leviticus 11, 44 and 45 and 19, be holy for I am holy. God says, be holy for I am holy, to live a life of holiness. And to me, one of the amazing parts of this is the fact that we glory in the idea that the Holy Spirit lives within us, that we he's our deposit, our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. He is the proof of our salvation. He is the person of Jesus living in us, so we're not orphans anymore. It's the promise that he told his disciples that it would be better for them that if he was physically taken out of the way because he would send another helper, another comforter, another paraclete, the Holy Spirit himself to live in us. And that spirit is not called the benevolent spirit, the mercy spirit, the love spirit, the grace spirit, the forbearing spirit. It is called the Holy Spirit, holy, the primary attribute of God, holiness. And Isaiah, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, the beings around the throne cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when John chapter 4 is taken up into heaven in the book of Revelation, and he sees the throne of God, these creatures again are crying out through all eternity, holy, 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 holy. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are commanded not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament to be holy, for I am holy. And our problem is we don't know how to do that. We fail continually because we try to muster it up in the flesh. But it's not in the flesh, but in a surrendering to him, a yielding to him, of turning over everything to him, of believing his promises with this power from the Holy Spirit taking control over us that leads us into the overcoming life and leads us into the higher Christian life that we're striving for. So what is a holy life like? Well, the best way to define that is to just take a quick overview, a flyover of the Bible and see what it says about the attributes of living a holy life. And then you need to ask yourself, as I have asked myself, and as every Christian who's ever lived asked themselves, am I committed? Does this sound like something I want? Am I willing to put the time and effort and sacrifice in to have this holiness, holiness manifested in my life? And if the answer is yes, as we shared yesterday and the day before, God never places a desire in your heart that he, not you, that he will not fulfill. 
and in yielding ourselves to him that we'll talk more about in the days to come. The key to this higher life movement of total surrender and total yielding and abiding in him, when we surrender to him, he lives his life through us. Remember, John chapter 15, vine and the branches. You and I are a branch that's part of the vine, and the vine belongs totally to Christ. Christ is the vine, and we bear his fruit by the nutrients and sap from the vine through us being resting and attached and abiding in the vine, and all the glory belongs to him. What is a holy life? Let me just give you a description of it from Scripture. Genesis 5.24, it's a life that walks with God. John 15.4, it's a life that abides in Christ. It is a life that walks in Christ and is rooted and built up in Christ, Colossians 2.6. It is a crucified life from Galatians 2.20, and yet, even crucified, it is a risen life, Colossians 3.1. It is a life that is hidden Colossians 3.3, yet a life that is manifested and revealed and known by all men, 2 Corinthians 3.2. It is a life lived in the love of God, Jude 21, and a life lived in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.20. It is a life in the Spirit, and it is lived in the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, walks in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, led of the Spirit, Galatians 5.18, and strengthened with all might by the Spirit, Ephesians 3.16. This is what a holy life is. It's a life in which the believer is sanctified holy, and his whole spirit and soul and body are preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And moreover, it is a life of active service in which we are workers together with Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6.1. We are witnesses of him through the Spirit in this holy life, in Acts chapter 1-8, we are constrained by his love to deny ourselves because we want to yield ourselves to the one who's most worthy, Mark 8-34. And we want to live unto him who died for us and rose again in victory, 2 Corinthians 5-15. This is a holy life as described by the pages of God's word. And as we move forward in this together, I'm hoping that you're beginning to develop a hunger for this. You know, we've talked about some testimonies of men who have experienced this higher Christian life. And I want to be completely honest with you from the very beginning that for you to experience this kind of life, it's going to demand that we make a commitment to holiness. This is holiness like in the name of the Holy Spirit, and holiness as in the attributes of God himself, and holiness as if the life that Jesus portrayed for us is obtainable. And I'm telling you, it is. It's called the higher Christian life. We will talk more about this tomorrow. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And so have a great day in the Lord. Until then.